Welcome to the Las Doctoras podcast. I am Dr. Christina Rose, pronouns she, her. I am Dr. Renee Limas, pronouns she, her. In this podcast, we make space for important conversations about the social issues that affect our lives and the lives of other marginalized people. We talk with thinkers, scholars, mothers, writers, and other visionaries invested in taking a hard look at the oppressive social dynamics of the world and doing the work of dismantling all structures of power. We are grounded in a connection to ancestral wisdom, academic research and lived experience while we sit together and share our insights, ponder ideas about how to heal from the generational trauma of white and male supremacy. Join us on our journey, not toward perfection, but into reflection of the multidimensional and complex experience of humanity, attempting to survive and thrive within the oppressive power systems we live in, all while we sit at our kitchen tables, sipping on some tequila, hoping to change the world. Bienvenidas! Hello. So this is episode 18. Oh, I love it. It's very exciting. You know, we should have celebrated with quinceanera. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> um, now we could be drafted if we were male bodies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think first let's talk about our updates. What's happening? What's going on? Mm. Um, we are in, it's the 1st of March as of today. Wow. Um, we are in Mercury retrograde, which let me just say, I have been feeling like no other Mercury retrograde. Like, really? and then I think it started in Pisces. It was like Mercury retrograde in Pisces. The new moon in Pisces was uh, oh, a week ago. It was like, yeah. And now the, it was the, deep. The moon is waxing, going towards, you know, the full moon. Ah, that's interesting. Mercury in retrograde. Is this recording? Is it yes. working? Is this? Just, I mean, that, that could be the, the Mercury in retrograde, I guess. How have you been feeling that, actually? We haven't talked about that. Um, Right around, well, because I went to Portland right around that time. And usually when I travel, I tend to get a little anxious, just be, like leaving the kids and getting on mm-hmm. a plane mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and the perfectionist in me, like wanting it to go really well and all of that. Um, but I think to, I was just feeling a, like really like melancholy and just very, <laughs> we can hear the fire. I know we have a fire going in like my good fireplace. Ambience. It's so nice. Um, I don't know. There was just something and I, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I was like, oh, it's Mercury retrograde, mm. you know? And so I kind of like. Instead of trying freaking out about like why am I feeling this way, I I was able to be like, oh, there's something out of my control that's having an impact. So instead of resisting it, let me just kind of go with it. Like I think, and that's to me always the gift of like astrology and um and like even being in touch with the menstrual cycles. Like just like recognizing like where am I and not feeling like there's something wrong with me, but like. There's just higher higher things at work that, that I can fall into instead of trying to, like, be resistant to it, you know? I love that. Um, you know, I often think of Mercury Retrograde as um, and new ways of communicating or technology not working or things like that. But I, what you're talking about, I haven't seen it in that light before, but I, I do resonate with what you're saying. I think I thought of it as the new moon in Pisces. I saw these memes for like, you can totally change your life. You can rewrite your life. And I really... See, I saw Channing Nicholas posting like, 
I forgot what she posted. You you go and I'm going to look for it. Because it was like, <laughs> it totally made sense to me. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I probably saw it too. It's interesting. I felt, I felt a sense of like lack of control. Mm. And I, and it kind of made me depressed. It was like, oh, yeah. why can't I take a hold of my life or, you know, and, and really feeling like recently this, you know, that our world that we live in is very anti-children, anti-mothers or anti, you know, caretakers and, and, um, gratitude, deep gratitude for being like a mama, but also just really feeling like, God, that was a, as it, as my child gets older, I feel like that in the new different ways. One with what comes up for me with having, with my parents, you know? Yeah. Thinking of. I, I listened to that Chicana Motherwork episode on decolonizing parenting and things like that. And shout out to Chicana Motherwork. They shouted us out. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> love what you're doing. Um, but also um, just around what I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, let me read. Let me <laughs> yeah, read what you what. Let me read you what Chani Nicholas wrote that okay. I when I read I was like, uh, okay. It says, "Welcome Pisces season." Cry in public, fall in love with terrible people, feel the pain of the world, forget where you're going, but get there anyways, daydream as an extreme sport, try to save every suffering being instead of working on yourself, life is short, enjoy yourself. And then she goes She goes on, I don't make the rules, add also, get high on life, get a foot massage, give away all your belongings, join a cult and become its leader, etc. <laughs> it was, I, I felt like she was like saying, it's okay to just... I, I maybe I I perceived it as like wallow in your pity, like just fucking cry and live in a pole for a few days. Like it's okay to do that. <laughs> My partner's a Pisces, and I actually posted that. I tagged them in it so that um, I was like, "This is you." <laughs> See, I'm, I didn't read it as that's my horoscope. Well, I'm Pisces rising. Oh, there you go. So I I to me I when I when it when I read that I it resonated with me just where I was feeling. Um, and then because I wasn't at home where I can just kind of, you know, I was on this vacation and, um, so I was trying to make the best of it, which I did. It was great. Um, but yeah, it was different than other vacations where there was a little Mm -hmm. bit more energy. This was more like I felt that immensely. I was traveling too, right? I was visiting my partner's family and I was kind of on a little holiday after being sick with all the flu and stuff like that. You were in the the middle of it. Yeah, Um, yeah. But I, um, I just thought to myself... I used to kind of, and I feel like this is the English literature person in me, maybe you're the liter, you know, the literature person, but I, um, I feel like I could be kind of emo and dark mm. sometimes and just be like my life and I could listen to like, <laughs> I don't know, uh, Depeche Mode or <laughs> The Cure, <laughs> The Cure, I could just be like, Ugh. and I feel like as a mother, I don't let myself do that. Yes. Like, I'm not supposed to be that, you know? And when I have time away from my child, I don't want to be that, (laughs) really. I do want to go get, like, Like, a foot massage and stuff like that, you know? Like, you Um, want to, because the time away from them is far and few between, that you want to, um, you don't want it to be time to go in. Like, you want to take advantage of the time. Yeah. That's how I felt. Like, we're in Portland, and I'm like, shit, we're we're here for, like, four or five days. Uh-huh. Not no kids. We don't have to wake up early. Yes. Like, and let's just enjoy this. Um, but yeah, there was this underlying feeling for me, and so that's real. And I was pre-ovulating too, which usually means like I want to be more out and things like me that. Me too. So I was I really right in the middle of like, ovulating. What's, what's happening? You know, um, 
I guess all that said, what's also been coming up in my community is like spaces where you can speak your truth. Like we do in this podcast, honestly, it's such a great cathartic therapeutic session really to, mm-hmm. to and creating more space for that that's also rooted in creative creativity or yeah. some kind of body somatic like kind of work what occurs to me right now is like we should just create a session where we're like break things <laughs> oh my god have you seen those like you can go somewhere and like put on this whole outfit and you're just breaking plates have you seen that no but i watched it you in can... sex education they have a scene like that yeah I, I watched it in um oh there's another show working moms and she goes into this room and she just starts like throwing plates and or they go yeah. you can go where they do like throwing um axes like yeah. axe throwing. I've been wanting to do something like that just to get like frustration <laughs> and like energy out. Like that yeah. sounds so fun. I kind of do that in my Baila Fitness classes. Shout out to Baila Fitness and Pico. <laughs> um, it's like a mix of Zumba and like Ugh, punching the air. And I, I kind of really get into it sometimes. <laughs> but I think what it's, that's what's been coming up for me. That's like an update, I guess. I think just really feeling like life is intense as a parent and yeah in southern california and just really like i don't know like one of these stickers in the book you gave me the legend planner is mm. like warrior not worrier i was like yes <laughs> but i'm like ah like you know non-violent resistance warrior <laughs> like it's like it's yeah. you know it's interesting too to come from a place of non-violence and then but also create space for it's just like venting or it's yeah. more than that, right? It's like some kind of release. It's some kind of space to just like, this is how I'm feeling. Yeah. But because of the issues with my, my parents, I don't want my child to carry that for me, those feelings. Like I want mm. him him to feel like things are going to be okay. Like I want... But you also have to remember that you want him to see your humanity so he sees his own humanity, right? Like, yeah. I think about that too. Like, where I don't, anytime I'm feeling sad, I don't always like cry in front of my kids. And then when they cry, like, they don't have a precedence for what that looks like, like how to recover from those things. And so I have to remind myself, like, I have to maybe let them see me cry or let them see me angry or name it while I'm in it so that they. And then if they see me process, you know, however the heck, not that I'm doing a great job at any of it, but I just remind myself, like, they need to see my humanity so they remember they're also human and it's okay. Like, we're all human. And even if things are bad, we're like you say, it's going to be okay, but it's not going to be okay by not having the experience. It's going to be okay, but we're working through it. Yeah. You know, I come from such a binary place of thinking sometimes. And I like, my therapist is like, that's pretty binary. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh that's right. It is. Like, it's all or nothing. You all know? or nothing. And that's not the, the issue. The issue is, right, is to be like, remember, Papa? You know, I was feeling lots of feelings there. Because he does that all the time. He actually, like, I feel like is a mentor to me. He's like, remember oh, yeah. that time? And he said this to my partner. Um, when I was in that room and I had all these feelings and I just wanted to blow out the windows. Like he literally <laughs> said that to him. And I, I was like, whoa, that's intense. But that feeling is real. And I was like, no, tell me about that. Wow. Who are you feeling those feelings to? And he was like, you. <laughs> I was like, oh, that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's I, I like I, I, I don't. I'm, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to, especially because Santos is so the feisty one compared to Cruz. Cruz can process a little. And, you know, he's older too, but 
Santos, man, he digs his heels in so deep. And um, it's hard to, it's just hard to, it, it's triggering. He's triggering my child. It's a lot, right? It's a lot. And so it's kind of like, how do I, how do I do that? But I, I do try to, like, if he'll say things, uh, I'll try to be like, oh, I, I used to be, or I did that when I was little too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I, you know, whatever feeling it might be. Oh, I remember feeling that when I was your age. Or I remember, you know, doing yeah. that. So that he, I want to normalize certain feelings or certain mm-hmm. things so that they mm-hmm. don't. Because in, in, like you say, growing up, there was no room for mm-hmm. humanity. I never saw my mom as human. Mm-hmm. Not until the last mm-hmm. like five years. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. Mm. She never showed emotion mm. unless it was anger. Unless it was she had reached her absolute wits end. Mm-hmm. Right. Or it was disappointment or just, you know, never, um, never just an everyday emotion like I never saw her you know just process and even then when it was anger I never saw what what her process was like you know and because it would go from like screaming matching like scream matches to like what do you want for dinner and I was like how did we get there like (laughs) I need a second (laughs) you know that's so interesting I guess I think of my parents as their example um as just being explosive and then apologetic but not knowing what to to do with that and yeah and just honestly honestly like i think my experience is like not the opposite because it's super emotional but like you named that as like not emotionally there but my parents were like emotion all the time like mm. um and so maybe that's what it's happening for me in these moments with jaguar i'm just like um how can i be something steady because i didn't feel like i had that you know yeah but I'm also human, you know, I, I don't know. But I, the, what's occurring to me is January and February were strong kid family months for us, you know. <laughs> yeah. We were returning to work. Our kids were going to school. Yeah. Everyone got sick. hella sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's just it's been a very it was, big couple months. Yeah, it's intense. And um, I mean, we're all works in progress. Right, we're we're still mm-hmm. trying to figure it out as we go along, and I think at the end of the day, it's I what came up for me right now when you were talking is just like creating safe containers for them, right? So uh-huh. we're not going to get it perfect; they're not going to get it perfect. But at the end, if they still feel safe with us, sometimes mm-hmm. that's the least we can do. It is. It is. You know, Jaguar's it, <laughs> thing. I did tell you this is to go like when something emotional or some kind of arguments happening or around him. We visiting family. You know something arguments always happen but he comes to me and he's like stupid <laughs> and i'm like he, like he just wants to say that i was like it's like almost like he's cussing you know someone has yeah. said like, and like he said like shit or something like yeah that, yeah you yeah. know like oh and but he's a stupid because that's a bet that's yeah yeah word, that's you know, his that's equivalent of- <laughs> and i'm like and i was like whoa why are you saying this word and now i'm like you got some feelings what's happening you know yeah. for you and he's like just got a lot of feeling anger stupid so i was like can i give you a hug Papa? And then I bring him yeah a hug. I, i'm really working on that it's it's hard for me because i was never allowed space to have any type of emotion so it's, not even anger i mean anger essentially were you i could to have anger? i was allowed to express anger but it was okay i was definitely not allowed to cry and 
I could express uh-huh. anger so as long as it wasn't aimed at my mom. Like, uh-huh. because if I expressed anger, it would come back with more anger. Yeah. And then it would just kind of... Now, mind you... Oh, God, this gets a lot crazy. But, like, especially as I got older, maybe late teens, early 20s, right before I moved out, and we would get into it. Because I got to a point where I was... I could, I could. You were on the cusp of leaving. I was on the cusp of leaving, and I could, like before, I would just kind of take it because it was to to fight back is to be disrespectful. You know, you don't fight back to your mother. You uh-huh. take it, you take it, you take it. And so when I got to an age, where I was kind of like, "Fuck that!" Like I'm, I'm taller than you. <laughs> I can, I can fight back now in terms of words, right? Not like we were physically fighting, but. Um, um, I, she, she still came back higher, right? Like if I came in here, she came back here. She put on some heels. Basically. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. And, and then it got to a point where I think my dad would have to step in mm. and often he took my side mm. and, and he would kind of be like, and he would tell my mom, you need to listen to you. You let her have a chance to talk. That's what she, he would tell my mom. You know, let her, and obviously, I'm sure that came from the way they argued, him feeling not heard or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, he would say, like, let her talk, let her talk. And if I would say something, you know, um, my dad would kind of try to hold her accountable to that. Like, can't you just, you know, do that or whatever? Mm-hmm. So it was really strange after my dad died, like, feeling like, fuck, who's, <laughs> who's going to take my side? Um, but anyway, that's, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, I think it was just, I was allowed to express anger, but... I was met back with anger instead of mm. both of us trying to figure out, okay, what's what's the solution here or how do we, you know, move on from this, which which is why it's so hard for me when I'm met with anger from Santos. My default is to meet him back with higher anger. That mm. That is the default. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I get, it's like I see red and then it's hard for me to reel myself back in. Like my conscious brain will be telling myself, you're in the red zone. You're in the red zone. Calm down. You, really? you know? Do you really see red? Like, no, I don't really see red, but I... Love, I, I love that expression. It's like I've the, been thinking of a The analogy of like recently. just yeah. you go into that you know like what leslie says the the low brain right like you go into that place and my high brain is saying like i see you doing stupid shit like Uh come back Uh and i just can't like i can't find my way back and um i feel like i'm i am trying to get better at it because after i'll be able i try to like sit with it and process it Mm. even after the fact and then I always try to go back and say I'm sorry. And always, like yesterday, we kind of had a thing. And I was like, you know, I'm sorry. Mm. Um, I, I I promise I'm working on it. I'm doing my best. I think that's beautiful. I think what you're <laughs> saying is all I can tell him. Yeah, basically. And you're you're doing that modeling. You like, know? you can be angry. You can have these responses. You're not going to heal generational wounds in one generation. <sighs> yeah. Seven. Like, I have to tell these things to myself, too, you know. Um, yeah. And I love that you rem- you remind me of that too. I think you know um, February. I saw a post about how January, February are hard months for people, like because uh, uh, there's not a lot of sun. I know we live in Southern California, but there hasn't been a lot of sun. Yeah. And I feel like I really po- maybe I want to name maybe I'm feeling a little bit of winter blues. Like yeah. I what really, do they they call it seasonal? What is it? Uh, just something depression. 
I really just want to go to Cancun and lay in the sun. <laughs> I've been trying to get people to do this with me. Oh, yeah. yeah. And actually what I plan for, you know, spring break when I'm not traveling, I'm just going to go to the beach every day. That's like my goal. It's going to be sunny, please. And I'm just going to like bake in the sun. I think that's what I kind of yeah. need to do. Um, it's been so nice to have rain. It's raining right now, or it was. And um, yeah. But I think there is something about that too. Yeah. And it's like week six in the semester, and I feel like I'm finally in the flow, and it's like almost halfway through the semester, you know? Yeah, it's, like it, wild. it's so weird. Like, so I'm week six for two of the campuses I'm at, and then the other campus I'm in like week three, They're like, or week four. They're like uh, two weeks behind, or three yeah. three weeks behind. So it's really strange, but um, yeah, so sometimes it puts me off of like my timing. I'm like, where am I in things, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway... Yeah, I know. We went off on a tangent. The last tangent I'm going to say for my update is, you know, I've been thinking a lot about home. And we're going to talk about Sandra Cisneros. And, you know, when she got this vision, she she shared in her interview that, you know, you're not your home. And I've been reading House on Mango Street with my students. And I've been feeling this a lot. There's something coming up for me about home and my identity. Mm. And... Um, I'm going to go to New Mexico next week and I'm really excited to go visit my family and kind of really reimagine home, you know, a little mm. bit more for myself. Um, I think that's a really good segue, actually. Oh, good. <laughs> good, good, good. I think, um, so we obviously are, are talking about our updates, but um, we, had, we had some plans to talk about other stuff and, and we have some episodes coming up. Well, we really want to explore body politics, um, yes. but things have been going on out in the world, yeah. and we felt a responsibility to chime in, to chime in, and kind of talk about where we are at. And I think one of the reasons I thought I felt like maybe we have a responsibility is because I, I so we're going to be talking about American Dirt, the American Dirt controversy. We'll talk a little bit about the Super Bowl halftime show. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. And then I think we can also talk about these new shows, these new um, mm-hmm. Latinx shows that are out there. And I think that we kind of tend to keep a certain bubble. Like we we are in dialogue with a lot of other scholars, a lot of other um, um intellectuals right who kind mm-hmm. of theorize to the end of days on these things but but this podcast is all about like breaking being the bridge for right and i think like when i was talking to my students they had no idea what i was talking about when i said american dirt they didn't like yeah. so i think there's a lot of people who it's not on their radar and i want us to be able to You're like have you heard of oprah <laughs> right <laughs> and so i want us to be able to, to kind of no. to kind of like yeah i think there's a lot of people who listen to us to kind of validate things that they're already thinking. And then I think there's people who listen to us to kind of be their entrance into a certain world. And I, mm. and I want to make sure that we, um, yeah, we are being responsible with that, with that, um, mm. yeah, with that, right, responsibility, whatever. So, American Dirt. Um, first, I think I want to say that if you are not, for our listeners who are not familiar with Amer- the whole American Dirt controversy, there's a great episode mm-hmm. <laughs> of another podcast, Latino USA. The host is Maria Hinojosa. She has an episode where she interviews four different people about the American dirt controversy. And it's a really good summary, I would say, of 
the whole situation. It was phenomenal. I think she's an amazing host. Yeah. I've listened Something to... Something I aspire towards. Yes. Know? I listened to other episodes of hers, and she is so great. She's very just, like, very, like... Um, grounded like she's mm-hmm. grounded in who she is but also a journalist right so she's asking like I feel like she asked him um, like the deep question yeah and then I, I told you too i love that she just has this pregnant pause i called it like at the end of like her interviews and this one particular it was just something like boom <laughs> like gives the and then like, gives the wait, listener space wait, to, like, wait what's gonna happen is she gonna t-? and then it's just like and that was janine cummins you know like yeah it was, like Anyways. So okay, so American Dirt is this. Book. I want to be honest. I so I haven't I haven't read it. I don't think you've read it. No, I don't want to buy it. Number one, yeah. number two, it's actually it's a really long wait list at the library. I guess is it really? I think in part because of this, and so a lot of people are saying too, like um, not to get it from the library because they keep track of it, and then it might require them to get more copies. Oh, so this is really interesting. Yeah, that's what I. That's what, so. But we've studied this at length in other ways, so yeah, we're going to come I, at this conversation. Well, and I, I, there's plenty of people who have read it, who have a critique, and I think that, um, so we live in a world where, where Latinx voices are often dismissed for all kinds of reasons, so I want to be, if, if, mm-hmm. if my fellow Latinx scholars are making this critique, I think that I'm going to believe them, right? Like, I, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, like, you're just being biased. I think so often we get that critique, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I want to support, mm-hmm. right, our, our fellow Latinx scholars who have who have read the book, who have this very valid critique. So Americans Are, if you're not familiar, is this book. It's a novel that was written by Janine Cummings. And it's supposed to be a book about the immigrant experience Mm -hmm. mind you this woman who wrote it is a white woman although she's now claiming she has some puerto rican grandmother even though in previous Hmm. places she has clearly said that she's white right and somewhere in it she said or the intro whatever she said she wished someone browner than her had written this in her epilogue i think she wrote she writes i wish someone browner had written written this um uh-huh. Now, okay, so let's... It, she's this white woman writing this book about an immigrant experience. Mm-hmm. She received a million, a million dollars Actually, she received, as I, I an love, advance. What I love about this is they didn't say that. Cause I, they, they said, said six, a se- seven figure, yeah. you know, seven figures. And I was like, wait, what, seven? That's at least a million, a million dollars. dollars. At least, at yeah, least. Yeah, an advance. And she said she, in the interview that she went to use it to travel and to do research... And also to sit at home and read, like, the work how of many, Luis Alberto Orea. Like, how many of us, like, you would never get a million dollars to, like, none of us would get a million dollars to do that shit, like, even in academia. Like, a million dollars is a I lot. Know. And that's an advance. So that's on top of the, the money that she can make post, right? Like, when the book mm-hmm. is out. Like, however many copies. I don't know what, how that works. But anyway, so she, so she has this seven-figure contract. Um, and so a lot of people were pointing out a few things. One, they were pointing out the fact that she's this white woman writing um, an Im- about a, a, a migrant story that's not hers. I'm, I'm Googling her because I'm trying to figure <laughs> out some more about her. Um, so she's writing about a, a story that's not hers. It's this very, it's a very like... Um, you know, it's like, well, you, it's it's the typical story of someone's going to go do research on another group of people and then write their story 
from this white perspective, white lens, right? So on one hand, there's this... Cre- but then she tells it as a narrator, she, and she, as a woman of color, right? She's So it's not a... It's a first-person account, right? Even though it's a it's a fictional novel. <laughs> I always get confused, fiction, nonfiction. Anyway, it's a fictional novel, right? right? Um, but nonetheless, you're right. She's writing it as if, you know, from the first person. Mm-hmm. And um, so obviously there, that's the critique, right? Like thinking about it as cultural appropriation, right? Talking about this story that it's not part of your experience. Um, the other, I think, thing that was upsetting for people who read it was that it was they felt this very stereotypical portrayal um, of mm-hmm. of that experience. That's kind what of Maureen Gurba talks a lot about. Right. So that's the other. And the stereotypes yeah. were out of place. You know, like it wasn't really, even the right stereotypes. Yeah, weren't connecting the conchas thing. You know, instead of yeah. Donuts so days. that's the other um, protagonist, I guess, in this whole story is Medium Gurba. Yeah. She um, she's a teacher from Long Beach. And um, she wrote, she was given an advanced copy to review it. And long story short, her, she, it was a bad, she was like, this is shit. She said, I have nothing good to say about this. <laughs> when, when Ms. said, if you make this more positive or have more positive feedback, we'll print well, it. Yeah. But she's like, no, no, I have nothing good to say. And about so this. they didn't print it. So she went and published it on her own and it went mm-hmm. viral. Only after Oprah so op- chose it as a, one of her book lists. It, it was on her book club, yeah. Which is like, you know, my American dream. But <laughs> it's, and, and no, I mean, if you if you get chosen for Oprah's book club, that is like, um, yeah, that's science sealed delivered, right? You yeah. are, you're good. Yeah. And, um, oh God, there's so much to dig into here. But anyway, mm. so I think another critique was, so obviously the stereotypes, um, Another critique was that she was given this... Okay, the other critique was who the audience for the book was, right? So she wasn't writing for other Latinx folks. She was essentially kind of writing this migrant story for white a white audience uh-huh. to kind of get white people to be interested in in immigration as an important issue, which is like... <laughs> fucking insane to me when i'm like do you not see the images of what's happening at the border are you living in in you know like i don't understand that and her preface right is she she says we identifying with white people this is the thing you know Mm. or american white culture basically whiteness um, we think of these people as you know the brown mass right we want to give what they there was something I read where they wrote was like infiltrators or give, something like that, and at best like give, give, helpless, give face to the big brown mass or something like, <laughs> like the faceless, like I don't know, just the language and the tone, right? Um, and then what was interesting is that that was even Oprah's thing. She I saw her video and she was like, oh, when I read it, I thought. Like, Oprah didn't care about immigration. Like, she, it was not on her radar. She's like, oh, this is, this is really, you know, it made me um, uh, have empathy for this experience. And I was like, and that's the thing I think is realizing how far people are from 
understanding the the depth of the atrocities that are happening at the border and and all the borders not just the u.s mexico border but also the the border into you know like guatemala and into central Mm -hmm, america mm -hmm. and oh the fact that it reached oprah for in a new way and maybe a bunch of people to me that's the one redemptive thing about what sandra cisneros's argument is Mm. and i know this we're bringing in sandra cisneros because she and other she, Latinas provided, like, they basically said, this is a great book. Yeah, they gave their thumbs up. They gave they wrote blurbs. Blurbs. <laughs> a funny word. <laughs> it is a funny word. Um, but they but they essentially, like, co-signed, right? Like, yes. this is a great book. This is, you know, um, I think Sandra Cisnero called it, this is the book of, of the Americas, right? Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. It Which was, is her identity, right? She calls herself like a, I don't know, like a mujer of the, the Americas or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, um, it's, it, yeah. I mean, again, it's so much. After all of these critiques came out, not just Miriam's, but like a bunch of other people. A bunch of other Salma Hayek and Reina Grande. I guess they all took away their, you know, their blurbs. Except <laughs> they, for Sandra Cisneros. Except who was kind of dug who, in. Who doubled down on it. The other thing, though, that I think is, is an important important thing to recognize is that this white woman who got the sex the six figure seven figure i'm sorry um advance to write this story is coming in the face of so many latinx authors who mm-hmm. have been struggling for decades to get their stories published and even when they are are not receiving seven right. figure advances are not receiving um, Oprah's, um, you know, approval are not receiving the nearly the same kind of attention for it, which is pointing to a larger systematic issue within the publishing industry right. about who's getting published, what stories are getting published, um, what authors are allowed to tell what stories. Because it was interesting, I kept hearing to say like, oh, so does that mean like, you know, white people could never tell the story of, of, you know, other cultures or that I can't, like, it's fiction, right? Like, all these weird shit. And I'm like, if we lived in a world where everybody was equal, had equal access to publishing and to getting their stories out there, maybe you could make a case for a white person telling um, a person of color story, but that's not the case. There's still pa- major, major power dynamics at play. Yeah. And you know, it's not cool when a white person is going to come. That's cultural appropriation by definition. Yeah. Because, right, Miriam's, um, one of her points is if she had, um, <laughs> right. Janine had called it a thriller porn, no, thriller romance or something like that, written yeah. from a white person's perspective about the borders, that might have been okay. But the fact that she wrote it from, like, like uh, stepping into like a Latinx body and yeah. then wrote it. And then I also really appreciate um, uh, Luis Alberto Orea, Orea? Mm-hmm. him talking about his personal experiences of um, writing this because um, basically there's a section I guess in American Dirt that mm. was just taken from a novel that he had written in the 80s but when he went to New York and tried to sell it for like 10 years they told him that no one is going to read this book because no one cares mm. and it was a scene about um, at the border like a, a child being killed you know by, um, a, by like a big dumpster truck or uh-huh. something like that which, and, he, you know, he, which he had experienced. Which was his personal experience, and he made clear 
that that no longer happens. Yes. So it's not a, a common like she wouldn't have seen it just by her trips to Mexico. Yes. It would have had to have been something that she had read right. somewhere. And he had received from New York. Basically, no one wants to read this book, and no one's going to read a book with your last name. Hmm. Um. And so I just love these personal experiences that draw this attention you're right the issue is that how she approached it how she appropriated or stole or what is that called um plagiarized Plagiarized. (laughs) yeah big big word in our in our world Mm -hmm. plagiarized and then um also got offered more money than any any latinx writer has ever yeah and it's been interesting to see like the um also the response and medium or not medium um janine cummings said, well, the issue shouldn't be with me. The issue should be with the publishing world. Like, really trying to say, it's not my problem. It's not my fault that I got a million dollars, right? It's like, if take issue with the with the publishing industry then, right? Or with the publishers. But this is the same like issue washing her hands with of like people the situation. who like, take the, um, the Roboso technique, mm. right? And they... And then they take it to a person of white privilege that, you know, learns it from a Latinx person and takes it into, um, white spaces. not just into, not just into like a white, a, a space of white, where was someone of white privilege is giving birth, but actually into like a class where they sell it, mm-hmm. you know, that's, this is the same kind of issue. Yeah. It's, it's all about like, I think there's a failure to recognize what the power dynamics are, right? Like you said, if if a white woman takes a reboso class with the, from a Latina and she goes and uses it with her client, that's one thing. But to turn around and, and teach that to other people and make money off of it and profit off it, um, then that's that's clear op- cultural appropriation because you stand to make more money in a white body from other white people than, yeah. than that person of color, that original person of color does, right? Like that is just, that's capitalism, that's white supremacy. Um you know, misogyny, it's all of it. And all I'm thinking, she better give that million dollars to the Latinx community. Well, okay, so then... Has so, she done that? Has she... I don't no. know. And, and here's here was my big issue. So in that interview, um, so Maria Hinojosa interviews four people. She interviews Miriam Gurba, who wrote the, the scathing review. Um, by the way, we need to get into her because she also has some other stuff going on. But um, And then, um, uh, what is his name? Alberto... Miriam, if you hear this, we want to interview you. Yeah. <laughs> Come talk to us. Um, and so, she, yeah, she interviews Sandra Cisneros, the, the other author, and then she interviews Janine Cummings herself. We're going to talk about Janine Cummings. Did you hear me call that out? <laughs> well, it was so funny because, um, so I told I told Christina just this Friday to listen to the Latino USA episode, and she calls me, like, immediately. I almost called you several times. <laughs> she calls me immediately, and she's like, Oh my god! And <laughs> Janine Cummings, she's such a like. What did you say? Like the oh, way I she's like, like she's like crying. White women tears because in the middle of this, it's it's so hard because basically in the middle of her interview, she's like, when that when Maria is like saying like, but what about you know the roses she's challenging her with right? the barbed wire? Did you not think that might trigger some like be trauma? You yeah, know? Um, and she's like. You know, my father died, mm. and I was just like, "That's called centering." And mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really regret this, and I wouldn't. I don't think I'm gonna write another book again. It's basically what she said, and it was just like, she, that." You know what? That is like that is a cop out. Mm-hmm. Like to, it, it is. It is saying like I'm a failure, 
and I'm out. Also, like, pobrecita me. Yes. Right? And Mariana also at the end asks her, not just, like, the way she frames the question, she says, after this, are you ever going to write about the migrant experience again? And um, Janine uh-huh. Cummings comes back and said, oh, I'm not even sure if I'm going to write anything. Although she says, I already got my advance for my next book. <laughs> so not only did she get her 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 seven figure advance for this book and then stand to potentially make more money, uh-huh. but she's already got an advance for another book. Yes. So and it, I think this is where Maria is like, she doesn't follow up. Because she's like, you dug your own grave. <laughs> no, but she says, are oh. you ever going to write a, another migrant experience? She's like, oh, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to write anything again. And to me, if you're standing on this ground of, I wanted to write this story to bring attention to this experience mm-hmm. so that we can, you know, really care about this. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, you're saying, I'm never going to write about it again. How much do you really care about it? Because if yeah. you did, if you were truly, truly cared about it, you would come back and say, I'm not going to write about it, but I'm going to support those yeah. who do. I'm going to use my platform that I've been given now to bring attention to these other writers. I'm going to turn around right. with my seven figures and I'm going to donate to I'm gonna, yeah. the border fund. I'm going to do these things. Yeah. And instead you're like, pobrecita me. Yes. My dad died. I am not going to write again yes. and feel sorry for me. And it's like, oh. and, and obviously from a place of nonviolence, I, and I, and I told, after I listened to the episode, I called Tommy because <laughs> he was like keeping track of it too. And he's like calling me and telling me what he's heard. And I was like, I actually feel really bad for Janine Cummings. I think she's going to go into a deep depression. That's what I heard. I heard like, and, and because I don't want to invalidate that, like that is as much centering bullshit as it is as much as it's she a has cop no out. way to process this but she basically. has no way to process it this is the first time she's ever heard of cultural appropriation it seems like and you know wild the book is written for her kind of the book is kind and, of and people like her right they don't know that it exists they don't know <laughs> they that. don't yeah which i'm like where are you living like but that's the thing sandra zero's in that interview she was like Okay, so let's get to Sandra Cisneros. So Sandra Cisneros, like we said, wrote this blurb for the book, supporting the book. And so a lot of people were really upset. Like, because Sandra Cisneros is our literary Chicana, Latina mother. I love her. We've all, I mean, I taught Chicana Lit last semester. And I think every book was on there. (laughs) Like, we read Loose Women. We read Wicked, Wicked Ways. Like, um, we read uh, Woman Hollering Creek. You I know, love her voice. I love her when she's interviewed. Her I love that she's talking. I love that she's a <sighs> Budapista. Like, there's so many little things that I just yeah, think like, it is so... She's, it, you know, she's... My mom gave me House on Mango Street when I was, like, in seventh, eighth grade. Oh, and then after God, that, she bought so me, like, cool. anytime a new book came out, she bought it for me. And <laughs> at my defense... She's our representation. At my defense, it was funny. So when I when I defended for my dissertation and my mom was there and my... Obviously, I'm, like, my, my professors are there and they're like, oh, what do you think? You know, you're the mom. Like, what does this mean to you? You know, and, and my mom said, like... I just remember, you know, when I gave her, when I bought her the Sandra Cisneros books and she goes, and maybe I probably, she shouldn't have been reading those books because some of them are like Mm. risque for Mm an eighth grader, ninth grader, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And she's like, maybe I shouldn't have, but I just so deeply wanted to um, support, you know, her reading and wanting her to see Latina authors. 
So she's so for her for my mom it felt like a full circle moment, right? Like here she was doing her best to expose me to these things, and then here I am, you know, defending my dissertation. So for a lot of us, like a lot of us, a lot of us, some of this is like our mother's age, you know, like she's in her sixties, like she is like she was our entrance into that mm -hmm, world. mm -hmm. She was the only thing that we had. And so it is a bit disappointing that she's been so supportive of this book without taking into context not just Janine Cummings, but then these the larger publishing world, the, these larger things. Yeah. And she because said she said she was like, you know what? Um, this is the part I like. Com- you know, I think it's complicated. I'm not saying it's like totally pure, but it's yeah. like, you know what? It's. If, pe- if people are going to read this who don't read my work, right? then, and they, like, now Oprah knows about the border. <laughs> <laughs> like, all these other people of white privilege know about it, so maybe they'll do something. Like, they, then they become part of the movement. So, you know. Yeah. But then she's like, if you wanted to write this story, write it. Yeah. And if you're feeling a lot, write some poetry. And, and do some reflection on why you feel so angry. Where is oh. that really coming from? So just oh. like we were talking before. And that, I feel like, is white culture talking back. They often say that, oh, you, you know, you don't feel connected. Are you really... You should go do some ego work. Right, or you... Um, what is it that you're really upset about? Because you couldn't possibly be upset about this. Because she has no awareness of sexist, racist, oppress- <laughs> oppressive world. Like, in that moment, she seems to say that. And when Maria, the interviewer, is like, what do you say? What so do you say she, the person who has done all this? And she's like, oh, maybe they have. <laughs> she, well, the, the biggest thing that a lot of people were, were critiquing Sandra Cincinnati's for is so... She goes, well, what do you say to people who have called this trauma porn? And she goes, oh, they're being very exageradas. <laughs> like, we're just, we're just exaggerating. exaggerating. Right? And I'm like, and that... It, and maybe that, if the book didn't make, you know, get a million dollar advance, maybe if it wasn't a bestseller right. on Oprah, then it wouldn't be a thing. That's a thing. It's, it's yeah. those... It's, it's, it's the all whole these things picture. together. It's not, right. It's not just the cultural appropriation... It's not just any one of these things. It's the entire thing. And um, it, I think it's just disappointing because mm-hmm. she has reached a level within the publishing industry where she can pretty much, you know, write her own path, right? She's, mm-hmm. she's at that place where she can do whatever the F she wants to do. Um, and she has done a lot of... I think she has like a program where... She can she'll mentor other writers. She donated her house as a place of like you know space. I mean, she's done a, a lot of work. Yeah, in, it's in not the to community. and it's and and this is I think something you and I have been talking about. This is not to dismiss her work. I think her work is still important. I think her work is 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 something that um, we still need to to be looking at. But it deserves critique. She's yeah. not perfect. She's not perfect. And she never was. And, you know, maybe that's a big thing that we have to learn. Mm. You know, we, we put her on a pedestal. We play into that binary. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's like, well, it's a very... It's like it's like I just said about my mom, right? Like, I didn't think she was human because she was my mother. She was supposed to be perfect, right? Like, we, we tend to think of our mothers in that, in that way. And and for sure, Sandra Cisneros. And I, and I also think that... Um, you know, it's she's coming from a per, a particular perspective, and um, I don't know. Like, I wonder what her she's got to know. Because when she said, "Oh, well, people just need to write their stories," I'm like, "They have been. 
They are. We we are. And we actually, are writing our stories. That's not the issue. I have to listen to her interview. The issue is, are our stories getting yes. seven figures? Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. yeah. And I had just listened to her interview in Aunt Bean, which um, she talks about when House on Mango Street came out. It wasn't an instant success. Mm-hmm. And she went into a deep depression. I didn't realize it came out in like the 80s. Yeah, she said she went to deep depression. She wasn't making any money off of it. Like she was trying to survive. So she took a job teaching, which she really never wanted to do. <laughs> and I don't think she really likes it very much. No, she said she didn't like it, but she needed to survive. We know how that is. <laughs> you know, but... um. She knows that story. So I'm wondering in this moment when she says this, you know, like, let them write them. Let them write poetry. You know, like, maybe the public, maybe they, they, maybe that is the, like, I feel like this, um, whatever she approach she's coming from, it's just like, so um, weird. And then Maria says, well, um, you know, I, what about people who say they are writing their stories and they're not getting these opportunities? And her response was, well, I'm very optimistic. That's right. And mm. I think it goes back to a conversation that we've had before, the like love and light, right? Like the like, oh, we just need to stay positive and we just need to stay in the light and we just need to love each other. Um, and I think it also goes back to this talk about like the exagerada thing as if we're not allowed to have rage or have these feelings, right? Because it's that binary of right. if you're mad or if you're angry, then there's something wrong with you. Versus, um, just because I'm angry doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean I'm being violent, right? Yeah. Like we're we're like oh in this place of like oh let's have nonviolence, but nonviolence doesn't mean no Ooh, anger. I get see that's what we we're talking about earlier. I get caught up into that all the time. Yeah. Yes, anger anger is, totally is a normal, needed and valid feeling. It's an it's a but unfortunately toxic masculinity has made it so that anger is only expressed through violence and aggression, mm-hmm. but if and we, only expressed through a male body, right? But if we take that back. We can say anger is on the spectrum of emotions, and is there a different way to express that that's not rooted in violence? And that's what nonviolent communication and, you know, nonviolent parenting is about. Is about allowing them to and nonviolent be, resistance. Yeah, right. Yes. It, it's it's not to say, MLK. People love to say, oh, MLK was nonviolent, but he also said, I love telling my students this quote: "Riot is the voice of the unheard." People get so caught up in like, oh, rioting is so violent and they're just like, you know, being crazy, you know, when they're when they're um, looting and destroying mm-hmm. neighborhoods. And I'm like, I always put into perspective when they're when, like when they burn neighborhoods down and I'm like, those are not they don't own that. They don't own anything. Right. Like, right. so to burn something down is to bring attention to that very Oh, I love this conversation. I'm going to say, <laughs> it makes me think of the suffragists and the, you know, and, mm. and um, Gandhi and different people who have used nonviolent resistance. And it's made, it made me think of you and your mom and, and me and spaces where I feel like I have to yell to be heard. And actually, Sandra Cicero said this in her interview and on Bean that she, she had all these brothers. She had to yell to mm-hmm. be heard. So I know she feels this. Anyways, this brings me to a thing about chisme and gossiping. Because, you know, we don't, women are haven't, you know, historically been allowed to be violent, to, to riot, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and march and parade. That's, that's something we're doing more and more. And, and maybe, maybe it's just, I'm from a very, you know, U.S. gaze right now. But um, gossip or chisme is a, is also the voice of the, like, what is it? The, what the voice it? of the unheard. And this is a type of rioting. You know? Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I just think, I just I felt that so clearly right now. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one time actually having a conversation with Marla about cheese mint and how 
I I was like, God, I really got to get away from that because in my family, chisme always comes back to judgment and like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to sit here and judge other people. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. And she was like, but chisme can also be a space to have conversation in a safe way, right? Like have safe yes. conversations in, that we're not allowed to have in other spaces. And I was like, you're right. So it's chisme isn't inherently the bad thing. It's maybe the disempowerment, right? The, the invisibility, the silencing. Yeah. So yes, of course. So it's interesting. I think you're right. Like all of these things, it's how are we exploring the multitudes of this, right? Which, um, maybe really quickly <laughs> we'll get to i think our point in all of this is to say that um we it's it's always adding complexity to the conversation right yes. like particularly around sandra cisneros because i i don't ever want to read americans are i have no interest in it i'm cool but it, the thing that really makes me sad about all of this is how sandra cisneros just kind of doubled down on her support for the book and it was disappointing it was disappointing to me Mm -hmm. and so then obviously people want to be like oh well then what do we do with her and i'm like i think we allow her her humanity right (laughs) allow her to be who she is um but still recognize how important her work is so we can we can use her work and we can love her for what she's meant to us Uh um and have empathy for maybe where she's at it, it, I think about my mom, right? Like, my mom did the best she can for the resources that she was given. Sandra Cisneros is doing the best she can for where she's at, right? Like, where she's also trying, you know, she's been given opportunities in, in the publishing world that no one, that we haven't, you know, received on a large mass. And maybe this is her way. She doesn't want to get kicked out. On some level, I was <laughs> hoping in the interview or in, in anything that she's some, somehow talking to everyone and actually causing up all this stir and playing the devil's advocate so that the the border issues actually become more like... Like, I, I want to see her as someone who actually understands and is using it as a technique to gain... Like, I think because American Dirt has gotten more press and it, I think yeah. it's, I saw 500,000 copies but see, or something I think that sold... I- like, to, because of this negative press, too. But then, right, like, all press is good press. But, two, coming back to this idea of trauma porn, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. people are going to have attention to it, but then are they actually going to do anything, or are they just going to see it as a novella? Right? Like, does that make sense? Right? So, mm-hmm. for example, the show Orange is the New Black, right? It was mm-hmm. a show about, essentially about mass incarceration, about women in prison, and it was this very popular show and people watch it and it was entertaining. But did people actually use that as um, an entry into fighting against mass incarceration? I don't think so. So no, is this book interesting? Is this book really going to serve that purpose? Right. It, it, the purpose that it says it is like, oh, it's going to bring attention to this issue. OK, so a bunch of white people are going to read it and feel sorry for what's happening. But th- are they going to actually go down to the border and do some shit? Are they actually going to um, voting is coming up this week? Are they actually going to vote in the interest of of these migrant experiences? Like, are they act- is it really going to turn into action or is it just a bunch of talk? So. I think actually this is a good segue into what we want to talk about next, which is the halftime show <laughs> and the cages. I just want to go. Uh, I just want to go to the cages, right? Yeah. And so you, the halftime you show. You didn't recognize when you saw them that they were cages. Number one, the right? first time I saw, it, yeah. But when I saw them too, I thought they were. I I think you immediately said cages. So I was like, oh, they're cages. I might have thought they were like eggs, carnival, 
like trapeze things and suddenly they were going to go up in the air and the kids were going to dance around them or something <laughs> like that. So we're talking about the halftime show from, from the Super Bowl with J-Lo and Shakira. People watching it. It's not a novella, but it is entertainment. Yeah. You know, um, and um, like novels can be, they can be political. Halftime shows have tended to be political. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of controversy about the halftime show it's that so we amazing. can dive into a little bit. But the political moment, so you know, J-Lo's daughter gets on the stage and mm-hmm. sings. Let's get loud. Let's get and kids are in cages. Mm-hmm. Um, and J-Lo has a, an American flag and then opens up to the Puerto Rican flag. Puerto Be- Rico is a big theme in this. Well, I and think... And maybe... I don't know if Janine Cummings is... Yeah, but I think because there's this idea of... And actually, I just taught about this in my um, Chicano history class. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about like Puerto Ricans. The, we read a chapter and it was called Citizens Yet Foreigners. Right, this perception of Puerto Ricans as foreigners, and yet Puerto Rico is an American colony, right? And so, mm-hmm. right, but because of their Latinidad, right, they're seen as not American, right? I love the word Latinidad. So I think Jayla was trying to sort of call that out, ah. right? Like, because she said born in the born in the U.S. She's saying born in the U.S.A. So this idea of like we are Puerto Rican but we're also American, which I mean that could be problematic in and of itself as well, but nonetheless, right? Uh-huh. So um I think yeah, so I think the idea of like the show being political but maybe also being entertaining and if people even caught <laughs> those political messages um it was it's very interesting. I was telling you earlier when I first saw the the halftime show, I was like it's Shakira. I love Shakira. I have a long history with Shakira. Uh-huh. I, I've just loved her forever. And mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, so Shakira's... And so there are... Like, I was not paying attention to the Super Bowl at all. Tommy's watching it. And then halftime show. All right, now it's, this is the real show, right? That's this, the only part I want to watch. Yeah. So I was watching it and I was like, okay, that was cool. Like, I've been to a Shakira concert before, so I knew what to expect. And it was very much similar to that. So I was like, cool, cool. I love watching her move. <laughs> I went to a show, I mean, I went to a concert. I was just mesmerized. Yes. Like, it's totally mesmerizing. So I was like, okay, cool. And I didn't really think too much of it. And then the next morning, there was like, oh my gosh. There was critique from every single angle you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And I just thought it was so, it was so interesting to see what the dialogue was about. And (laughs) I felt like either way, they did not win. Like, nobody wanted to... no, I, I I take that back. I think a lot of Latinas were were standing by them, um, and sort of praising them for their for what you know whatever they did. Um, but then there was just so much harsh criticism coming back at it that it was it was it was like on one hand you want to make space for the critiques that seem valid, but then on the other hand you want to like it's kind of like. You can critique your mom, but nobody else can come and talk shit about your mom, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it's like let's have an intro communal conversation about what what is the pros and cons of that are. But then the minute like white people come for us, we're like, no, 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 you are not allowed to come for J Lo and Chucky that, right? Like you cannot be doing that. I think that's what happened. That's interesting because that's different than the um, American Dirt. That seems to be all taking place in a, the Latinidad. And like, all of this community. happened within like a two week time period. However, I think Oprah did create a space to talk about these things, oh, let's right? Talk, but we'll I talk about know. that. Okay. Then. Anyways, <laughs> I haven't seen it, but but and that's what 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 stepping to the halftime show. The critiques 
have mostly come from outside of Latinas, basically, right? I, I think, I mean, there is definitely an intercommunal conversation happening, looking at, like, the complexities of J-Lo's relationship with anti-blackness and stuff like that, which, again, I think those are very valid critiques. Those are very important conversations to for us to be having. But then the second that, like, conservative people are saying, oh, it was inappropriate for them to be you know doing that on a family show which by the way football is family show and it's super violent like we're okay with violence but we're not okay with oh i think of um the (laughs) super bowl that's what it's called right it's Mm -hmm. like i I think of it um after doing some domestic violence or some relational sexual assault training as a counselor it's the day when the most amount of um domestic violence cases come up really i think of it as dv day basically like because there's alcohol and there's all this charged energy yeah the masculine rage you know, um, winning, losing, and um, it's wow. Yeah, so that is that is a really important layer. So I don't think of it as a family show at all. I think of it as like a inherently mm-hmm. violent mm-hmm. space, totally. mm-hmm. right? So then you have all these like conservatives. They I was reading just the other day that there was it was like the most calls they had received i think maybe since the like janet jackson situation or whatever mm-hmm. but i love that um, you saw that i i actually it's the only time i'm i really am sad that i missed I saw it live that. janet jackson <laughs> me and tommy i remember we were in his house just the two of us and we both looked at each other like did we just see what we like because it happened so fast like you if you would have blinked you would have missed it and we were like did that really just happen anyway so um yeah it's just been interesting to see and then on the other hand so you know conservatives kind of being upset and then white feminists sort of saying that uh, they're taking us back they're taking us back right that oh they're they're commodifying their bodies and my critique to that is always like women's bodies are always going to be commodified no matter mm-hmm. what if they can be in control of that commodification, that could mean something, right? Is I, Madonna... Madonna's so uh, complicated, I know, but is Madonna allowed, like, when she does... Do white feminists, I mean, she's, like, comment back, like, she's just using her body, too? Is there, like, I'm that not, same critique? I definitely feel like, not as hard. I think in the... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, and that's what people... That's what Latina scholars were kind of trying to point out, like... You're coming for the Latinas from this this racialized perspective of Latinas as hypersexual, right? They could have been out there in their hmm. nun habit, and they might have still been perceived as inappropriate by oh, totally. just by the way that they're moving. It's ha- it may or may not have anything to do with what they're wearing or not wearing. I think in a, a white male culture, just being a Latina is inappropriate. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like they don't have to do anything. It's just, just being themselves. They shouldn't exist, almost. You know, right. or, or they should like just that. be. I always tell my students. There's a saying, calladita se vea más bonita, right? Mm. Like, you look prettier if you stay silent, right? Mm. So, <laughs> yeah, that, yes. I actually read that from Sama Hayek many, many years ago, which I hope she's evolved beyond. Hopefully, <laughs> plain Frida helped. Um, you <laughs> but, know, um, I think when we were watching it right now, too, we kind of viewed it, and I was like, I mean, you were just she's she's 50 right you're like j-lo's 50 and shakira is 43 i mean like i just love i just love how um i just love their i don't know i want to say i love their bodies but it sounds really inappropriate but i just think that that there's amazing i think we can can say it i think i'm like if i look like that when i'm 50 i'm gonna be walking around in that outfit you know like 
And and this also comes back to slut shaming, right? Like this yes. perception of like if you're naked, it means that you're, or even dancing a certain way, it means that you're inviting a certain kind of attention, and that's all bullshit. And we hear that even in in the world of breastfeeding, right? Like, oh, breastfeeding mm. in public is inappropriate. Mm. I mean, any a woman, like you said, a Latina woman's body is inappropriate. Women's bodies are are inappropriate, right? Totally. Like, there's just this perception of what's appropriate. And what's inappropriate. Um, and talking about, I'm sorry, I keep on pantsing because I'm just thinking, that talking about like a family show. Honestly, that moment when her and her daughter were on the stage together and they were we just, got ch- I got they chills. Were kicking, they were just kicking ass. And I was just like, and you know, before I'd been thinking like, ah, oh, what, what, you know, I was a little judgy. But honestly, I'm trying to imagine myself. I don't know how old her daughter is. She's somewhere yeah, around like pre adolescence or something like that, adolescence. Just imagine ourselves as 12 year olds. Being able to see because you know Shakira and JLo are in like amazing shape and they've had children, but also they are still super curvy. And um, if I had seen that, I, that's so much representation. And then then like maybe I would have been okay with my hips, you know, uh-huh. or my thighs. <laughs> you know, I would have been just like looking for yeah. a model of what my body could look like that wasn't you know kate moss or something like Ooh, that you yeah. know like um or madonna or right? madonna totally I think- and then her and her daughter in there i just thought yes this is bitching this is like yeah. this is what we need to see more of and i think that's that's the thing that we want to kind of land on is that and and this is what i i wrote a, a little response um on our instagram talking about like the importance of like we i think you and i are always really trying to come from a place of complexity it's never one thing or the other Mm -hmm. there's a lot of gray area there's it's not a binary thing right how can we approach things from this complex perspective to say Mm -hmm. on one hand yes we need to have this conversation Mm -hmm. about the underlying anti-blackness particularly in regards to the fact that um People like Rihanna and Cardi B turned down the opportunity to perform for the halftime show because they were standing in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick, right, who's called out so many things within the NFL and who was essentially blacklisted um, for protesting and for bringing attention to things like policing and mass incarceration. So Just thinking of the the word blacklisted. So interesting. Oh, right. Yeah. And also calling out colorism in our Latinx community. So I think there's there's definitely a lot of critique to be had, and um and 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 we can do that and at the same time watch it and like you said be like wow here are these had we had this when we were young what would that have meant I feel the same way when I watch Coco there's so much mm-hmm, to critique mm-hmm, in Coco mm-hmm, and you're like ooh, mm-hmm, ooh. Mm-hmm. and yet at the same time you're like. That freaking border. I had, oh yeah, I had nothing even remotely like this as a kid. Mm -hmm. So that anytime I was in, you know, non-Latinx spaces trying to, I would always say like doing cultural translation, like, oh, what is the quinceanera and what is posadas? Mm -hmm. And I was always having to do this weird thing or maybe sometimes feeling shame about it. And you were representing your whole culture in that moment somehow. And then watch, and then my kids be able to watch this and feel like it's like Dia de los Muertos is normal, right? Like it's a normal. Did one of them actually say to you like, "Oh, mom, it's not just it's not just your thing; 
this actually no exists. i think that's my perception of okay. it right like they it's that it's not just like my crazy mom like <laughs> does this thing right but it's become this normalized thing that i didn't have like i didn't have that so i think we can hold both those things at the same time we can hold what it means to see representation mm-hmm. and the doors that it can open up for us just like we said sandra cisneros was an entryway for us to come into this world to come into our voice, to come into what possibilities there could be for us, mm-hmm. right? In in writing world and in scholarly world and in all of that stuff. Um, but still being able to critique her and still being able to hold her accountable. Just the same way we can hold Shakira and JLo accountable to their problematic things. But also recognize in a, in a white world um, or in a world that's so whitewashed, what it could mean to have that. I mean, I think about what little girls are, are watching it now and could they be their entryway into into the world of social justice and mm-hmm. and then they their their perspective will, will grow and will evolve and will become mm-hmm. more nuanced and become more radical. Um I think I think if we see it as an entry point, um I think that's important, right? So yeah, just holding both of those things at the same time, being able to love something and appreciate it for what it could be mm-hmm. And being able to um, critique it and and hold hold people accountable. And we've talked before this the sense of it's either or yeah. you know is such an interesting narrative. I, I and, and I think it's a um I I can't name where exactly that comes from, but I'm thinking about literary the literary canon around like yeah. you know. Um, but like not being able to ask questions, it's very much a part of the narrative of the U.S. right now too. You know, not you have to, you have to be patriotic, and patriotic means not asking questions. You know, um, supporting your your the president. You know, yeah. uh, uh, no matter what, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I remember when he got elected, and I was like, oh, well, now we have to support him. I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> I know it's so interesting. <laughs> or they'll you know? say like, "Oh, if you don't like things, then just move." And I'm like, "Why should I have to move instead of making holding uh, my country accountable to be better? I deserve to live here and have it be what I, you know, need it to be." But like, and yeah, yeah it's 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 a lot. And I feel like also that it, that narrative is so in, inside too. It's you know, it's interesting. I feel like when we're doing this, we're naming it as taboo and. But and in, in naming it, we are we are transgressing. I am transgressing some inner, you know, teaching to transgress. I know you're reading mm-hmm. it. So, um, some inner voice that says, um, "Don't ask questions," you know, yeah. like and and when you do, you're going to be punished. And I've been talking about that a lot. But really, you know, my therapist was like, "You are a person who asks questions. They're beautiful. If people do not." love that part about you they just don't you know they're not loving you you know it's really like and it's just like <gasps> oh man <laughs> and then the other way i think i want to na- name this is i had brought up um gloria anzaldua's borderlands because i think that's mm. really important you know um how and also without you know not without complications you know anzaldua and um a lot of the you know latinas who raised us you know um but still i love the image she has and this helps me a little bit too to name this like she, I think she says a foot in both worlds mm-hmm, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a foot in many worlds in these mm-hmm. moments when we're talking. Mm-hmm. In our academic one, and the political one, and the feminist one, and the, you know, decolonizing one. And then also um, just in th- th- that allows us to have a conversation about this instead of just saying like good, bad. Like, right, like taking sides. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's, yeah. And, and I mean, that tells you how much we're grounded in 
Gloria Sandua mm-hmm. as well. And I think mm-hmm. how revolutionary that work was for us too. Um, to to have us be okay because I think sometimes we can feel pulled and she talks about that right being pulled in different directions and how that can cause anxiety um but if we can just be okay with resting in the in-between right in the ambiguous she calls it ambiguous right there's Mm -hmm. so much gray area there's so much ambiguity and finding comfort in the ambiguity Mm -hmm. rather than um having to pick a side I think is is um and and I want to say this I don't because on the other hand, people will talk about like um, when we talk about politics and people say, oh, well, we just need to, you know, come together and listening to each other and, you know, and compromise or weird stuff like that. And then but it's to me, sometimes that tends to be excuse for people to um, rationalize their their violent rhetoric <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to say like, oh, um, my anti-immigrant rhetoric is just my opinion versus you know like no that's actually violent right like so i don't want it to mean i don't want it to be like that's what we're doing like i don't think we're saying this is an excuse to be violent or to um perpetuate things that are harmful Mm -hmm. i think it's to say that i think it's to say that we are works in progress and that we we not can, perfection, but process, reflection, reflection, and what it, I forget. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That that we we know what is quote unquote good, but we may not be able to get there yet because of so many other. It's like saying we know capitalism is fucked up, but we still have to live and survive in a capitalist world. Uh-huh. So sometimes we do have to play the capitalist game just to live to see the next day where we want to eventually burn it all down to the ground, right? So it's to say we're in process. <laughs> I'm thinking about our work at the university or, you know, the yeah, university. Yeah, like working in the ivory tower, even though we want to, you know, um, break, you know, burn the ivory tower to the ground. Yeah. But, but right, it's, we're works. This is not about excusing violent behavior this is about recognizing we are works in progress so coming maybe full circle back to conversation with me and santos where sometimes i can tend to rely on those those that violent default Hmm. um and then but um this is not to excuse that behavior this is not like well Mm -mm. i just this is just who i am right it's to say Mm -hmm. yes this is who i am and i'm working on getting better and i'm not there yet but I'm working on it. That's the difference, right? Between rationalizing the violent behavior and saying I'm yeah. working on the violent behavior. You know, yeah. naming it, naming recognizing it, recognizing it, saying that's not um, what I hope to to you know yeah. w- to do in the future. Um, and here's here's me modeling how I'm working on not doing that. Yeah. But really thinking about like seven generations, really mm. of like so that that there's a little bit of. Um, Grace, I guess, Grace. in those moments, you yeah. know, um, thinking, yeah, seven generations, like, you know, how many generations, you know, is it our generation to this generation to see, you know, JLo and Shakira on the stage? Like, it's like its own thing, right? Yeah, um, yeah, we, yeah. And, um, okay. <laughs> I know. We can, I think we can talk forever about this. Do we want to talk about the other TV shows like Hentify? I think we can just shout out. I think that when, yeah. along the lines of like representation, I think we can say that it's always important to, regardless of our critiques, 
Um, like so, there's new two new Netflix shows, Hentified, um, and Expanding Universe of Ashley Garcia. And I'm so like, interested what our listeners think of these two. Maybe yeah. that's where we could lead, like kind of like questions. What do you think about yeah. these shows? Um, I was telling my students, I was like, nothing is without critique, but it's important for us to watch these so that Netflix recognizes that there's an audience so that they can continue to make more. Because mm. it's not about, it's not saying, it's not enough to say, oh, well, maybe there's room for improvement. It's to say that just means we need more. Yeah. It's not we need uh-huh. less and we need to throw these away. It uh-huh. means we need more, we need more, we need more. So watch uh-huh. these shows, critique them if you want, love them if you want. I love them for what they are. Mm-hmm. Um and and make it known that we want more. We mm-hmm. just the same thing with American Dirt, right? Like if it's going to make its money at this point, okay. But she better that, give her money away. To <laughs> that means we just to need that. to call for more. We need to call for more publishers to you know and maybe that's the silver lining like this is a slap this has really brought uh, um, a spotlight to the publishing industry and how much how desperate we are to tell our stories and how much our stories are needed and i hope oprah is shouting that out actually at the end of all well there's much to be much to be desired (laughs) with that but I think that's I it. think we're good. I, I, I have no more, a little bit. So, ching ching. Salud. Salud.